This sermon, A Sure Strategy, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, June 19, 2022, at Sovereign Grace Church. Open your Bibles, please, to Acts 12. Acts 12, if you're visiting with us, we are preaching through the book of Acts from beginning to end, uh, verse by verse, section by section. It's the way we typically preach. We preach through books. We, we uh, uh, preach the Bible line by line. This morning, though, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're actually going to take a, a verse that we looked at last week, but there was so much more there than we uh, looked at, um, and we are actually going to, this is going to be more of a text topical sermon. We're going to root ourselves in Acts 12, 24, but from there we are going to uh, draw from other passages of Scripture in an effort to mine the treasures that are there in verse 24. So as we begin, would you pray with me, and we'll jump right in this morning. Lord, this is your gathering. These are your people. The church belongs to you. It's the bride of your son, Jesus Christ, the savior of our souls and our only mediator who stands and brings us to you, undeservedly so, but in a way that brings you glory, and gives us life and hope. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, let it not be an exercise in futility, but by the power of your spirit at work, both in your individual people and in your people collectively as a church, transform us, renew our minds, remind us of the things we've forgotten, For those who are struggling to find hope today, give them hope through your word. For those who are wrestling with condemnation and legalism, Lord, break them of those bonds. Break them of that slavery and help them see the all-powerful and free grace that flows from Calvary. Lord, for those who, who are proud this morning, probably all of us in some way, Break through our pride. Help us to be humble that we might receive more grace. Lord, you know what you intend this morning. So we now yield our hearts as we open your word. And we trust you to do all that you desire to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to Scott Hubbard. He says, at every stage of the kingdom's advance... From Jesus to his apostles to the church, the lie of the garden dies by the truth of the gospel. Teaching wins back the world. So, in the church's global mission against the gates of hell, words are our greatest weapons. We are about to turn the corner in the book of Acts. Really, chapter 13 begins what, if you parsed it out, is Acts part 
3. Luke is about to turn his focus from Peter in Jerusalem. Remember last week we saw that, that, that uh, or two weeks ago we saw that Peter, after going to the home, being freed from prison, he departed. Luke didn't say where he went, he just departed. And the truth is we don't hear much from Peter for the rest of book, the book of Acts because Luke, Luke turns his focus from Peter in Jerusalem to Paul and church planting. And if you've been here for the entire story, watching the fulfillment of that wonderful promise in chapter 1, verse 8, I will send my spirit. You will be empowered from on high, and you will be my witnesses. All Judea, all Samaria, not just Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth. It's been a wild ride. It's not going to get smoother, so keep your seatbelts buckled. But in the midst of all that has been happening in Acts, even just the last two chapters, if we go back, chapters 11 and 12, new city, Antioch, new church, new Christians, new leaders, Paul really comes on the scene in Antioch. Oh, yeah, a murdered apostle, a rescued apostle, and even a dead king. In all that activity, it's easy to gloss over one short sentence in chapter 12. Look at verse 24. In the midst of all this that is happening, and in particular, the persecution of James and the death of Herod that followed as his judgment, verse 24 says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. But the word of God, I know there's a lot going on. I know some of it is really bad news, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Eight words that in their immediate context scream in a world of opposition and resistance, the gospel mission of the church is unstoppable. And if you are a Christian, then your life, your marriage, your family, your job, your money, your dreams, your purpose is entirely wrapped up in this mission of which God is building his church for his glory. So what a powerful encouragement from the Spirit these eight words are. They remind us that the imperishable word of God in the hands of the Spirit and the hearts of people will accomplish his purposes. And indeed, then, we can say, along with Mr. Hubbard, our greatest weapon for our glorious mission is words the very words of God that he has given to us in the holy word of God. Three reasons this morning that that strategy, the strategy of God's very words advancing our mission, three reasons that is a sure strategy. The first one is this for those of you taking your notes, for those of you, that book is pretty little, Tom. So, guys, 
<laughs> write small. <laughs> For those of you taking notes, here's the first reason this is a sure strategy to fight with words, to fight with God's word. The first one is this, the word of God increases and multiplies because it preaches. In particular, it preaches the good news. The word of God multiplies and increases because it is good news. You know, over and over, the the Bible claims that God reveals himself in many ways, but one of the primary ways that God has revealed himself is through his creation. You may be familiar with some of these verses, but Romans 1.20 says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. He goes on to say, so no one is without excuse. In Psalm 19, you're probably very familiar with this, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. In other words, the universes, the sun going up and down, and the moon showing up and leaving, they proclaim the glory of God who exists. Acts 14, verse 17, Luke writes, yet he did not leave himself without witness, he being God, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. The common grace of God reveals the existence and the power of God. He has not left himself without witness. In the things that we see, the things that he has created, he has revealed himself like an artist's personality. You know, they say that, that if you look at the, an art, you can get a piece of art, you can get a sense of the artist's personality. Well, in the same way, only an infinite way, God reveals his person and character in the canvas of his creation, which screams into our conscience that God exists in transcendent glory, power, and majesty. But the difference between heaven and hell is not believing that God exists and he is powerful. The, the demons in James 2 believe that. They shuddered when they thought of what God was like. No, it's, it's not in believing God exists, it's personally believing his son, Jesus. The eternal word, the living word, that he alone can save. And that saving message is found in one place, right here. The word of God. The word of God preaches the message of salvation. It's good news because it reveals to us our need for a Savior. 
2 Timothy 3 says, but as for you, continue, he's writing to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that is, the holy scriptures. And then he says this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is telling Timothy, the scriptures make you wise unto salvation because they reveal what the creation does not, the good news of Jesus. You look into the scriptures, and they, though they themselves do not save, the saving one is found there. He's revealed there. God reveals our need to be saved from his wrath on account of our sin, and that Jesus is the only one who can save us. Where? In his word. In his word. There should be a a list of gospel passages in scripture, and I would just submit those to you. You can take a picture. They'll they'll come to you on Tuesday on the blog uh, in the sermon spotlight, and I encourage them to you for your application and your study and your memorization. But right now, I want you to turn to Romans 3 for a moment. Romans 3. Right after the book of Acts, Romans 3, verse 21. Keep your Bibles handy because we're going to be flipping pages this morning. Look what Paul writes. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul tells us that God is a holy God here, that that God is a just God, that we are born sinful, and therefore we are under the deserved wrath of God and are absolutely unable to do anything about that dilemma. There is nothing, no righteousness that can satisfy the demands of God's glory. But he says in the mercy and wisdom of God, Jesus made himself your propitiation. Oh, a great word of antiquity. It simply means that he is that he willingly gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross that turned God's wrath away from you. Though you are a sinner, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice so that all who would believe in him, Romans 3 says, by faith 
would now only know the love and grace and pleasure of God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's what scripture calls of first importance. Listen, everything in the Bible is important. But Paul himself, the master theologian, the man whom God used to set so much theology into place in the early church as they wrestled to see Jesus in the Old Testament and connect it to what was now happening and what had happened at the cross. Paul, in instructing the church in Corinth, after correcting much doctrine and about to launch into a serious doctrine, the doctrine of the resurrection, he begins by saying, I come to you bringing you that which is of first importance. What might that be? The gospel of Jesus Christ, that according to the scriptures, he lived and died and was raised on the third day. That is the most important truth that scripture puts forward to us because it is the truth that not only reveals to us our need for a savior, points us to that savior, but leads us to that savior. Mount Lemon, I love Mount Lemon. It's beautiful, isn't it? It declares the glory of God in so many ways. But what it does not do, what the universes cannot do, is preach the one truth our souls desperately need, the good news of salvation for sinners, the gospel. It's that that truth that Jerry Bridges said so well, the gospel is not only the most important message in all of history, it is the only, and get the word he chooses, essential message in all of history. Listen, in Acts, the church kept preaching the gospel. One of their main leaders had his head chopped off. They had a king who was out for blood. They kept preaching the gospel, come what may. And as they did, the word increased and multiplied. How? In the form of sinners being saved. Building on the word of God is a sure strategy because the word of God is good news. Second, the word of God increases and multiplies because it is profitable. It is profitable. God's word not only leads us to salvation, but it also equips us and makes us fruitful as individual believers and collectively as a church. Flip over to 2 Timothy Verse 3, 2 Timothy 3, probably a familiar passage for most. Verse 16 says, all scripture, by the way, uh, don't have time to explain it now, but if you want to see me afterward, I'll explain it to you. 
All of Scripture, though the New Testament Scripture did not exist when this passage was written, the New Testament Scripture reminds us all of Scripture is this entire book, not just the Old Testament, which they had then. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. How many stories and messages and philosophies do we hear through the airwaves every day, over the internet or in print, if anybody still reads the news? Messages, as we look over the history of the world, messages have come and gone. Most messages flounder at some point. Somebody comes up with a new idea, a new top 10 list. Messages come and go. And truth be told, most of them are useless. Most of them are useless. Most of them have no real bearing on our lives. And the fact that we can remember most of them is evidence that they, they are, for the most part, useless information. I asked Tom if I could share a funny story. It's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> he gave me permission. I said, you know, you can save it for your own sermon if you want. And he said, no, use it, use it. So Jeff Perswell is the D. We're part of Sovereign Grace Churches. And one of the, 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 the privileges of our partnership is we have a, a pastor's college that men who, who've been proven out at the local church and believe they're called to pastoral ministry, they can go and be trained. And Jeff Perswell is the dean of our pastor's college. And the Perswells years ago, I don't know, 20, a lot, I don't know how many years ago, 20 years, 25 years ago, they, they lived in Maryland at the time, and they adopted a little boy in El Paso, correct? And so they had come out uh, to see here and pick him up. Um, so Tom's proud of his city, El Paso, and he's driving around. He wants to show Jeff the city of El Paso. And uh, if you've ever been with Tom, Tom knows a lot about a lot of things. And I guess he wanted to make sure that Jeff knew this. So he's driving, and I guess the way the story goes, Tom, you jump in and correct me. I'm not going to give you a mic, but feel free to jump in and correct me. If I'm wrong. He's driving and showing him the tour of El Paso, and he's like, yeah, that building over there, and he gives a bunch of history, and then this, you know, this fence over here, and yeah, that company over there, and he's talking Jeff's ear off. But at some point, Jeff discerns, who cares? What? And <laughs> I don't know how long he put up with this, Tom, but Tom said at some point he, at some point he looked at Tom and said, I'm sure with compassion in his soul, if you know Jeff, Tom, you are the king of UI. Tom says, UI? And he said, yeah, useless information. <laughs> I'm so glad you let me share that. But what? You want to redeem yourself for a moment here? (laughs) 
Listen, so much of the world's chatter is at the end of the day is you I. Second Timothy 3 says God's word is profitable. And if I can just make sure we don't misunderstand that word, that, that's, yeah, it's useful. No, there's a force to this word. It's profitable. It's sufficient. It does what God intends it to do. That, that's a strong word. It's useful. It's effective. You notice in verse 17, Paul says, it makes us complete. You, you, you could say competent. It makes us complete, equipped for every good work. Said in another way, God's word makes us competent and able to do what God calls us to do as his children in every way. Worldly wisdom, good intentions, humanistic philosophies, they, some of them may have some benefit for some time, but they ultimately fail us. Isaiah 55, 11 says, God's word always accomplishes what it intends. It never returns void. I love what James Montgomery Boyce says. He says, we need to be taught, and it, that is God's word, teaches us about God, ourselves, and the way of salvation. We need to be rebuked, and it rebukes us about our sin and unrighteousness. We need to be corrected, and it corrects us, showing us the way we should go, the way of blessing. We need to be trained in righteousness, and it trains us through daily application of its teachings. It's profitable. It's effective. We, we, we all have areas that we're acutely aware where we just aren't growing, not seeing progress as you look over your life this last year, maybe a, a secret sin that you just, you wonder, is, is God even at work because I'm still struggling with this? I think oftentimes in those moments, the first question we ask is, well, why isn't God growing me? That's the wrong question. I think the first question we should ask is, am I allowing God's word to inform and have authority in this area of my life? The problem isn't God's word. Oh, how quickly we step off of God's word because we say, you know, I, I, we applied that for so many years in our home, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, that's not a statement ultimately about God's word. That's a statement about God. His promises. He's made a statement about his word. So I, I submit that oftentimes when we're not growing, when we don't grow spiritually, it's because we're not going humbly to God's word, knowing that as we do, he will give us grace. He will show us mercy. And his spirit, according to his time and his wisdom and his purposes, will make the word profitable in our lives. 
I love what Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Oh, church, more than mere human words, scripture is God-breathed, that it is, it is the words of God that can penetrate any armor, that can penetrate any barrier that you and I could ever put up against God. And in the hands of his spirit, he breaks through our hard hearts, not to condemn us, not to destroy us, but to show us our need for salvation first, and then to grow us, to increase our maturity, to multiply our spiritual growth as disciples of Jesus Christ. In Acts, the church kept growing, kept preaching the gospel and teaching God's word, come what may. And as they did, the word increased and multiplied in the form of growing, maturing believers. Can I just say nothing's changed? Different culture, different time, same God, same intentions. We're just a little farther down the line. <laughs> and we have the privilege of having the full counsel of God. So don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Humble yourself before the Lord. Go to his word and cry out that the spirit illuminate your mind. And transform your heart as you do. So the word of God increases and multiplies because it is good news. We find Jesus there. The word of God increases and multiplies because it's profitable in the life of the believer. It grows us, changes us. And finally, the word of God increases and multiplies because it protects. It Protects. In the face of severe persecution, this verse in Acts 12, verse 25, did you notice how it connects the church's ability to thrive with the centrality of God's word? Luke could have said anything there, I guess, and their courage carried them. <laughs> and their resolve to not give in propelled the church forward. And their understanding of all that was going on kept them afloat. That's not what he said. Luke launches us into the third part of Acts. This next phase in the early church. Churches will begin to be planted and the gospel will really begin to go to the unknown world in ways unimagined, no doubt, about by these early Christians. And Luke launches us into that era by drawing our attention to the power of the word of God. The gospel, God's word, was their foundation. It was their source of growth, and it was their protection. 
No one believed this more than the Apostle Paul. Um, when, when he wrote to a young pastor in Ephesus, you know his name, Timothy. Timothy was like a son to Paul. Paul was like a father in the faith to Timothy. And when he wrote to Timothy, the church he led in Ephesus was facing serious troubles for a number of reasons, but primarily false teaching. And you know what the solution in Paul's mind was? In 1 Timothy 4, this is what he says. Command and teach these things. In other words, preach. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Later on in chapter 6, he says, teach. Timothy, teach. And urge these truths to the people. He wrote another letter to Timothy, and his counsel was the same. In in 2 Timothy 2, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to what? Teach. Later on in chapter 4, he says, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, here's the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In other words, Paul says, Timothy, whatever happens to the church, whatever happens in the church, above all things, preach the word, preach Christ, teach truth, fulfill your ministry, and protect your church by preaching the word of God no matter what. There are so many books, and I haven't read many of them, but I've read enough. Books that talk about the pastor's toolbox and all the different ways that you can grow your church. You can protect your church. You can be a thriving church. Not all bad. But when the Apostle Paul tries to help a young pastor, who probably wondered at times, is this church even going to make it? You know what Paul's solution was? Build on the word of God. Preach the word of God. Keep preaching the gospel. Teach him, Timothy. Paul even said, I know, they're getting itchy ears. They want to twist truth to fit their personal preferences, to fit their paradigms, to speak to them emotionally. Have none of it, Timothy. Here's what you do. Keep preaching the word. Keep building on the word. Keep giving them Jesus. No matter what, Timothy, give them the word of God. Paul believed the word of God protects the church through the faithful preaching 
of the word, and for good reason. We know this. The word protects our hearts from faith-crushing anxiety with its unfailing promises, doesn't it? Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. The word protects us from the deception of false teachings and the world's lies by making clear the purposes of the will of God. Romans 12, 2, have your mind renewed so that you won't be conformed to this world, but that you'll be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. My ad there. The word of God protects us from condemnation and legalism that just paralyzes us spiritually by rooting us in our identity in Christ, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. The word protects us from giving up spiritually by drawing our eyes upward to a sovereign God who is there, who is all-powerful, and who is always in control. The book of Psalms. (laughs) Whether it was the prophetic word this morning or the reality of what Rick brought about Romans 8, I called the glory of the Eds. There's an ED on each one of those, past tense. The security of the Eds. Where do we go for that? Where do we go for that comfort and, com- and encouragement? Where do we go when legalism and condemnation are beginning to get a grip on our heart and minds? Where do we go when we're not sure how to interpret the hurricane that seems to be getting stronger and stronger every day all around us. If the Apostle Paul was here, he'd tell us the same thing he told Timothy. Go to the Word. Go to the Word. Whether it's pointing us to the source of our salvation, growing us in sanctification or preserving us in truth. The mission of the church advances, grows and advances as it focuses on God's written word and most importantly, his living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Listen, I agree with Mr. Hubbard. In our mission to advance God's kingdom, Words are our greatest weapons, the words of God that have been given to us in the word of God. I want to close by just mentioning brief, simple, how do I walk out of here and apply? I think I'm so grateful that we, God is building a church that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ and rooted in his word. That's not your pastor's doing. (laughs) That's the spirit of God causing the word to take hold in your hearts 
increasing and multiplying your faith in righteousness. But yet, yet we're all vulnerable, aren't we? We're all immune to step off of the word of God. So a couple things here. Fathers, it's Father's Day. Make sure you grab a donut on your way out. And then build your home on the truth of God's word. Make Jesus Christ and him crucified the center of who you are and all you do as a father. Drive your kids crazy with Jesus. My kids used to get angry almost because we would sit and watch a movie. Pause that. Do you see the gospel connection there? Brett would be like, Dad, this is the Grinch. (laughs) Yeah, but do you see the gospel connect? (laughs) Fathers, don't just catechize your kids with truths. That's great. But if they don't see how Jesus is the fulfillment of those truths, if they don't see how he is the living reality of those truths... You're not helping them that much. They need to know Jesus. Give whatever you're doing. Make sure that as you do it, you are giving them Jesus. Second, Jesus, the living word, is the life-giving heart of the written word. And that means when you read the Bible, look for him on every page. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, it doesn't matter where I go in the Bible. I read it, and I make a beeline for the cross. Now, we need to understand context and do our good sound exegesis. His point was, I look for the Savior on every page of his word. Three, the word will be fruitless in you if the Spirit is not with you. So before you approach the Word, ask for the Spirit's fresh filling for your spiritual understanding. Don't approach the Word on your own. What I mean by that is, remember the Word is about God, ultimately, not me. Second, by that, I mean, I don't want to approach the word on my own merit. I always approach the word in Christ. Otherwise, I'll be crushed by a psalm like Psalm 1. And don't approach the word in your own strength. We believe the Spirit, the Bible teaches that God gives fresh fillings of his spirit for the task he calls the believer to. There is no greater task than communing with God through his word. Fourth, preaching is God's preferred weapon. So hold high, not the preacher. Whether it's an ordinary preacher like me or it's the prince of preachers like Spurgeon, Hold high, not the preacher, but the preached word, particularly the preached word in your local church. 
no matter how ordinary it may be, no matter how much depth it may lack, no, no matter how many more gifted men there are out there that you can live stream, the Lord has called you to this church. Hold high the preaching in this church. And finally, when you share Jesus, show them Jesus with your Bible. Evangelize with your Bible. Don't just tell them about Jesus. Show them Jesus in his word. Derek Thomas says this, but the word of God increased and multiplied. So identified were these people with what they did, spending time in God's word, that Luke equates the growth of the church with the growth of the word. It is not friendship or buildings or discipleship groups first and foremost, but the centrality of the word. This is church growth, New Testament style. They had no demographic research, no statistical analysis of the most likely elements of society to respond to the gospel, no evangelism training, no extensive campaigns of any kind, and yet, under the blessing of God, and in the midst of persecution that had seen the execution of one of their most prized leaders. In our admission to advance God's kingdom, words, church, God's words are our greatest weapon.